What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Deer Vane Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Heller. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, the last few weeks have been pretty tough on me and just trying to get podcasts out. Had a lot of cancellations. No offense to the guys who I have been working with. Holidays are crazy. ATA is coming up. Shot Show is coming up. Just a lot going on in the in the hunting industry right now for a lot of people. So it's hard to get people nailed down for podcasts. So I am here solo today. Um, and I just like, in general, Wisconsin bow hunting is still open uh, in a lot of counties down south. You got until January 31st. So I'm still trying to get some meat in the freezer. This year has been generally really tough for me. I've had two opportunities at does, one opening day and one on November 7th. And it was right away at 8 a.m. Two does came through November 7th for me uh, personally is like the best day that I believe to kill a, a good buck. So when two does come running through, I'm waiting for that big buck to come running through after them and he just did not show. So I had that opportunity and then I also had that opening day. Um, it was 85 degrees, came into six yards. It was an offside shot. So I'm right-handed and the deer came in on my right. I was just a tough shot overall. And um, anyway, it was a great, great experience just to get them in at six yards. But those were my only two like real opportunities at deer. And then I had that one chance that I posted on YouTube of Groot, that big non-typical that I was chasing, but uh, a lot of branches in the way and just couldn't really get get a good shot at him, really didn't want to wound him. Uh, so I just kind of let him walk there. But in general, it's been, it's been a tough season for me with the new property, uh, learning that piece and really trying to understand it more. It's not a conventional piece you would think you know the deer bet on these hills it's a valley it's a big valley and on the top of each valley are cornfields right or soybean fields so you'd think the deer bed on the ridge sides or on the you know on the hillsides and in the evening they would kind of come up filter into those fields and I did not see a single deer in any one of those fields in any evening sit that I sat uh it was Kind of strange i actually saw them sometimes getting up on the hillside and going down into the valley and then they'd sit around and munch on you know just whatever browse down in there so it was a it was a really interesting learning experience for me on that property this year and uh and then i hunted the public and i was hunting some new public that i was trying out uh some different areas and uh, i just couldn't couldn't find them out there i mean i could see them every now and then but uh, never in range and all that so just in general a real humbling humbling season for me i'm still still at it still gonna get out uh it's january 17th right now and i'm gonna get out here this coming weekend uh in general the late season like late late season um which is right now you got we're finally getting snow the corn is finally picked around here the just with all the wet weather we've had in wisconsin this year they left the corn standing all through the end of december it got picked around our private piece it got picked around or like the first week of january and uh in the public piece that i hunt it got picked the last week of december which is you know kind of crazy um that they're still picking at that time of year but anyway it gave the deer a great place to hide gave them great areas to kind of fatten up and make it through the winter and we haven't even had any cold weather which is really the driving factor for success in the late season is cold weather and the need for deer to get up and get out into those fields early and get that food so that they can you know they stay warm they fill their bellies they get those calories that energy and uh, a lot of times they'll do that and they'll get up earlier because of the competition of other deer. 
and you know in the winter they generally will herd up because food sources are limited bedding sources are limited and uh, you'll just see them in groups of you know 10 15 20 sometimes like last year i counted a group of 75 uh because that's where the food source is and then there's also competition like hey man there's corn and you know these couple acres that's good and the deer will get up sooner to beat each other out there and get that food so with the corn being up no cold weather uh it just it just doesn't create that scenario and um and a lot of times the deer just don't want they don't need to move so they don't have to um or they don't have to move because they don't need to and you're just kind of stuck so anyway um that's kind of how the late season been going we're finally getting this cold weather we got you know a few inches of snow on the ground now i got a big snowstorm coming in saturday so saturday evening i was going to try to get out but sunday looks great um it's going to be so in general, in the late season, you're looking for these days like Saturday where it's going to snow pretty much all day. And then it'll drop off in the evening about four, 3, 4, 5 p.m. Uh, and you can get out that evening, but it's still going to be kind of snowy, overcast, windy, and still generally like not great conditions. But then Sunday, clear blue skies, sunny, 10 degrees, little wind, like that is what you're looking for. That Saturday where it's just nasty and gnarly, and then Sunday where it's beautiful and cold and clear. Those are the days you gotta get out. So hopefully, you know, I can get out on Sunday and and get get me some meat in the freezer at least, get a dough. I still have uh, four dough tags yet <laughs> and a buck tag. So, you know, we'll see. And, and you never know, this time of year, bucks could have shed their antlers already. I, you know, you. You don't know or these are the times when you see people shoot deer and then they grab their antlers and they pop off and hit them in the face and whatnot so uh so yeah i mean that's that's going on too um we'll see but the packers do play on sunday i don't know if a lot of you guys are football fans but my family's football fans the packers are in i don't even know the nfc championships or something like that i whatever it is they're playing the 49ers <laughs> And uh, my wife's a big fan, so she's like, Bloody Mary's on Sunday. And I'm like, maybe later, because <laughs> I want to try to hunt. But uh, but we'll see. And then also, you know, it's always tough. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are in the same boat as like, you neglect like home projects, you neglect time with your family, you, you, you just put everything you have, all the additional time you have into hunting come October, November, and early December. And, you know, by the time, by the time the end of December rolls around Christmas, your family's kind of ready for you to quit being out in the woods and be home and, you know, stick around with the family, enjoy some family time and stuff. So late season is always difficult for me to get out as well, you know, kind of come December 20th, it's kind of family time for the next, you know, two weeks. And then, yeah, different things here and there. We got birthdays in early January in my family. So it's always, it's always tough, but, um. But you just gotta you gotta make the time. Uh, you gotta make the time, and you gotta prioritize it. And one of the things that I always like to tell myself um, is that you know everybody has time. At, like that's one thing you're inherently born with is time. And when people tell you they don't have time, or you say I don't have time, I don't have time for this, or somebody says to you, No, 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 sorry, my schedule is full. I don't have time. What they're really saying and what you're really saying is that it's not a high enough priority because, you know, if your if your wife calls and, you know, your kid's in the hospital, all of a sudden that's the highest priority and, and you have time. 
you know, and hunt, like I get it, you know, family, family first. And, you know, you prioritize your family, your work and all that. Uh, and then hunting kind of falls in there sometimes in, you know, early November priorities kind of change. Hunting kind of goes a little bit higher, <laughs> uh, but then, you know, it, it all works out, but I just wanted to, to say that I didn't, I personally didn't prioritize hunting as well as I should have in, you know, early, early January, late December timeframe, because there was, there was a little bit of decent times out there and I just, you know, I got to work. I got to, you know, help pick up my son. I got to, you know, stick around the house, spend some family time. It just, it is what it is. Um, but I just want to throw that out there. Cause that's one thought I always have is, you know, when people tell you they don't have time, it's really not that they don't have time. It's that they don't prioritize it hard or high enough on their list of things that they would like to do with their time. So anyway, that's kind of the, the update for me. Um, on my hunting and I'll still be, I'll still be going out for the next couple weeks. And if you are too, you know, like I said, you're looking for those, those clear days, those beautiful days after a snowstorm, the deer are still out in full force. You know, I've, I see them all the time. Um, when you have those clear days after, uh, you know, a gnarly day, which is really frustrating because my, <laughs> my son's daycare is right down the road from a couple really nice cornfields that, kind of always hold deer. So I've, uh, you know, I've been testing my theory on this all for the last few weeks and every day there's a nice clear day. There's deer out in that field, anywhere between six and 15 is the most I've counted a couple nice bucks. It's all private land, but I just like to, you know, run my theories in my head as I go pick them up. Cause I always pick them up around four, four thirty, which is good evening time, good evening hunting time. And, uh, and it's always kind of frustrating too. It's like, man, I should have hunted tonight. Man, I should have hunted tonight. I knew it and I should have, but got to pick him up. Got to pick the kid up and, you know, take care of him. <laughs> so anyway, if, if you're getting out, you know, still stay at it. Um, it's, it's hard in those cold days, man, uh, getting that layering system down so that, you know, you're not sweating on your way in, but you're still comfortable in the stand that's it's a tough thing to do i'm i'm still struggling with it myself i think i got like 80 to 90 percent of it squared away i still got 10 10 20 percent that i need to work on and it's really down to kind of my pants for the most part it's pants are tough because you don't want to like haul in a huge pair of puffy pants um, whereas you can haul in you know a puffier jacket folds up nicer and that's just kind of for me or rolls up nicer um so my pants my lower my lower half tends to sweat more than my upper half because it's easy to just throw on jackets. It's not as easy to just like put on a bunch of pants before you get in the stand. Um, but you know, that's, that's important. <clears throat> the biggest thing, if anybody has any thoughts on that is uh, merino wool base layers. I've, since I started elk hunting probably like six years ago and I got introduced into merino wool because a lot of Western guys wear it, that stuff is phenomenal at wicking sweat and sweat is what gets you cold in a tree stand it's what gets you cold walking out and walking from to and from it's generally why your feet get cold so having that merino wool base layer will pull the sweat off your skin into that merino bowl wool and push it out into your other layers that you have so personally for me i wear two merino wool bases which could can be kind of redundant but at the same time i wear 
you know, a really thin layer right on my skin. And then my next layer is kind of like a sweatshirt or a thicker pant merino wool. And then I'll wear my big stuff. Um, you know, my thicker, my thicker jackets and my thicker snow pants and whatnot. When I go out there, that's what I call my hunting pants, snow pants. Cause they are just big puffy pants. Um, or I like, I love overalls because it kind of, you know, if it's windy out and it's cold and you're leaning forward, you always get that little lift up in the back of your shirt where it kind of gets your ass crack and it always gets cold and overalls. I love wearing them because it covers that, you know, you don't have that little, that little wind chirping at your back, um, your lower back. And, and that's just so nice to have that. But at the same time, that makes it difficult to pack in and put on and figure out. So again, I'm still trying to putz with that whole system and, and figure out the best way to do that. But anyway, that's, that's the Merino wool base layers. And then also going into like what I, my 2020 looks like is one, uh, we have this new property, it's 110 acres. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast at all, you can, and I heard me describe it. It's a valley ridge tops on each side, Creek rolling through the middle. Uh, we own 25 acres of ag field split into two fields, like a 10 acre and a 15 acre field. And those are going to continue to be an egg, but then there's also a power line that kind of cuts right through the middle of the property. And that's all CRP right now, or just essentially tall grass. Um, and we're trying to figure out, you know, what can we clear? Where can we food plot? Should we even food plot? Cause one of my thoughts is like, you know, there's already so much food around with the ridge tops being pretty much all egg in this valley you know, being like if you were a crow flying across the thing, probably six, 700 yards, maybe more, maybe a little bit more, maybe 800. Um, but you know, it's really not that wide and there's all this food all around you. You know, do we need to add more food or not? I, I don't know the answer to that. I have to do a ton of research. Like that's kind of my project in the next couple months is figuring out, you know, how to build this property to be the most effective. Uh, cause that's, I, you know, that's, it's being a public land hunter. Like I've always kind of thought that people who build deer hunting properties are, I don't know, it kind of takes the fun out of it a little bit for me because then, you know, you're sitting in the same stands, the same plots and you're, you know, you're almost like building like a deer farm without a fence, right? You're, you're, you're trying to get them coming to it. I have a friend who calls it deer farming whenever he plots, uh, food plots, but at the same time for me, I, you know, I don't care. Like now that I own property, it's a little bit different feeling. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have the same thoughts here is like, well, you know, we have the opportunity to build this into a really nice hunting property. And I would love it to kind of just be like a little grocery getter for me. Like if I want to go out and we're running low on deer on venison and I want to go out and be able to shoot a deer, I just can go out to one of these food plots that I have cameras on, know, you know, where the deer are coming from, what they're doing, and then go out there and, and get me a dough and fill my freezer. Like that would be the objective for me, kind of like a mini, gro like a, a wild gro grocery store, if you will. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. Like I would really enjoy doing that because it takes, you know, shooting a dough on public can be a heck of a lot of work, you know, especially depending on where you shoot it, how you shoot it. And if you gut shoot it, or, you know, if it dies in a swamp and runs away and you can't get, 
you know, your little trailer deal back there, or you can't pack it out very well, or whatever it is. Like it's a, it's kind of a pain. And on the private, you know, we have four wheel trails throughout the place and four wheelers. You know, you shoot when you throw it on the back of a four wheeler and you're done. So it, the convenience factor of it is just huge for me. And uh, being able to build a property and learn that whole process as well is something that really intrigues me because. I think a well-rounded hunter understands, you know, all the different aspects of hunting and how it works. You know, a lot of people look at Texas or they look at the Midwest or they look at, you know, private ranches out West and things like that. And they, people make assumptions based on what they know, not what they've heard or what they see rather than what they, what's actually done. You know, in Texas, for for instance, my opinion is like everybody just puts out feeders and then has big box blinds and sits on roads and has a feeder in the middle of the road and then big bucks come out and they shoot them. Like that's my opinion of Texas, but at the same, that's my thought of Texas, but that's not, I know there's more to it than that. And I'm not ignorant enough to think that like that's all there is there. Uh, But at the same time, I would, having this property now, I'd like to learn how to do that stuff and be able to have those conversations with people and just, you know, develop my knowledge base more. What kind of foods deer like to eat? What time of the year they like to eat them? You know, are you planting winter, winter brows or, or summer brows or fall brows? And do you plant based on what's around you? Because like the egg stuff, you know, with all the soybeans, you, the deer have plenty of food in the summer, especially with the soybeans. And just in general, they have plenty of food. And then November, October, November, December, they have all the corn that they can pretty much eat. So then do you just plant something that's late, like real late season? So, you know, December, January type of food, or do you plant something for that weird in-between time when the soybeans turn yellow to when the corn isn't, gets, gets ripe enough to eat? You know, that's kind of the late September, mid-October to mid-October time frame. You know, do you have something green then? Because that's where the deer are going to want to be to be in the feed. Um, and then how does that impact, you know, with the natural forage like acorns and apples and maple leaves and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's really interesting to, for me to just get into that biology of the whole process of, of deer, learn more about it, learn more about their habits and just kind of become more, it's almost like an experimental ground for me to figure out you know, what works, what doesn't work, and just, you know, kind of develop my knowledge base more overall in general. So that's a huge, you know, summer pro- or spring project for me is figuring all that out, <clears throat> clearing the clearing the pieces. We, we have a neighbor who's got a tractor. He said he'd gladly let us borrow it. Super nice guy. Um, he'd come out and cut some trees, help us move food plots, whatnot. The guy doesn't even really hunt. He hunts <laughs> opening morning. Um, and that's it for gun season, uh, you know, but he's like, Oh no, I just, I'm retired. I'm out here just having fun. He just has all these toys and he likes to use them. So he's like, yeah, if you guys want to do food plots, I'll come, you know, push over some trees. We'll get some burn piles going, you know, cut some new ATV trails, what, whatever it is. So it's, it's really nice. Like that's huge for us to have a friend, a neighbor like that. And he's all about it. You know, he's even given me ideas, you know, hey, let's knock down this and make a food plot. He doesn't even hunt <laughs> really, but he's interested in it. So I think he just wants to kill, to kill some time. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so there, there's that whole piece. And then I'm also really diving into archery 
uh, and the mechanics of bows, arrows, arrow weight, you know, tuning, fletching, uh, rests, all that kind of stuff this year. Um, I have, I wouldn't say I've neglected to learn the process, but I've just kind of always had someone else set up my gear for me. You know, you take it to a bow shop, you go, here's my bow, you know, here's my draw length, you know, what arrow should I shoot? What grain weight should I shoot? You know, and I've been putzing with the Valkyrie arrows these last couple of years, and I'm just not well enough equipped knowledge base wise to uh, fully understand a system like that. And it, for anybody who doesn't know, it's, it's a really uh, small diameter shaft. Um, I think it's like two millimeter, four millimeters or something like that. See, I can't even tell you, but it's a Black Eagle X Impact Arrow, which is a micro uh, diameter shaft. And then you have a bunch of weight up front. So the broadhead I was shooting was 200 grains. I had a collar up front that was another 25 grains. And the, the reason you do that is essentially uh, the more that it's called front of center. If you haven't heard of it, it's it's been around for a long time and traditional archers have always used it. Traditional archers who shoot low feet per second, like 170, 180 feet per second, they've always used front of center because that's the only way they're getting pass-throughs and they're getting enough penetration on deer. And it's interesting because like the kind of the archery industry in general took a, a turn towards speed and they just pitched, you know, the bow manufacturers really kind of like mid nineties, early two thousands, just pitched speed, speed kills, speed, speed, speed. You want everything to be fast. So they did light arrows, um, you know, hundred grain heads, 80 grain heads, and they just wanted things to be as fast as possible. Well, over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, people have kind of realized like, hey, like I'm shooting a deer at 20 yards and I'm shooting 320 feet per second with this mechanical head and I'm only getting, you know, 10, 12 inches of penetration. Sometimes I get passed through, but it's not guaranteed. And then you watch, and then I watch like a traditional bow hunter who's shooting 170 grains or 170 feet per second and they're blowing right through the animal. And you, you kind of like, why is that? Like, how how is a guy shooting a compound, shooting 340 feet per second, not not getting any penetration, especially when they hit the shoulder on a deer, and another guy who's shooting a traditional bow, half the speed is getting a full pass through or breaking that shoulder. You know, it just didn't make a lot of sense. And then you dive into it, and it's because the guy shooting that compound bow is shooting a, a 350, 400 grain arrow because it's really fast. The guy who's shooting a traditional bow is shooting a 550, 600 grain arrow, and it's slow, but it's got so much weight behind it that it just passes through. It's kind of like if you would compare, you know, getting hit by a semi at 50 miles an hour or a Ferrari at 80 miles an hour. You know, which one's going to hurt you more <laughs> is really what I, I mean. They're both going to kill you for sure. But <laughs> I, I would imagine that the semi is going to hurt you a lot more than a, a Ferrari, a smaller Ferrari. So that's kind of the best way I could could you know, kind of equate it in a metaphor style. But anyway, there's still like people who disagree or agree with that line of thinking. I'm personally of the opinion that. The heavier my arrow is, if it hits that deer, it's gonna pass through. I'm gonna get two holes. It's gonna get both lungs. You know, it's gonna break ribs. If it hits ribs, it's gonna break shoulder. If it hits shoulder, 
Because a lot of times you people want to pull off that shoulder when they're aiming at it, uh, aiming at a deer. They want to pull off that shoulder because they don't want to hit it. Uh, and then that leads to an overcorrection and then they gut shoot it. You know, I personally have had that happen to me before. Uh, and since adjusting to these heavier arrows, um, I've been of the mindset that I can just hold tight to that shoulder and if I hit it, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll still just go through that shoulder because my arrow is so heavy and I'm shooting, you know, 270 feet per second with a 510 grain arrow and it should just, you know, blow right through it. It blows through an elk shoulder. It should blow through a white, white tail shoulder. And plus almost all my shots are under 30 yards. So I'm not too concerned about distance or anything like that. Um, you know, it's a lot of power within 30 yards and you should be, I should be just fine. Um, that being said, the only, the biggest problem that I've had, especially this year is I can't find a deer to, to shoot and be able to give any sort of report on it or anything. But anyway, I picked up that Valkyrie system and it's, it's not on any of the archery charts. Like if you look at the back of an arrow, um, you buy six arrows at Cabela's or whatever, you buy them online. Like they have the, the tuning charts or what spine you need with what grain head for how many pounds and draw length of a bow you have. Like they have this chart that matches all that up. And, uh, and when you're shooting 200 grain heads or something, they don't, they don't have that in there. It's, it's such an kind of an anomaly still in the industry that it's not on that chart. So you kind of got to play with it and figure out exactly what you should be shooting and, and all that kind of stuff and what spine you need for what draw length. And it's kind of a, it's a, it's a process. Like you, you really have to dive into it and learn about it in order to make it work. And it's, um, it's really a lot of tinkering and people just like tinkering. So anyway, I don't know a lot of stuff about archery in general. And that's another thing that I'm doing this year is I'm kind of starting from scratch. Never bought a, a brand new bow off the shelf in my life. I've always bought used Craigslist $400 to $600 bows, you know, last year's model or two years ago model or three years ago model, whatever it is, you know, because in general, I'm not, I'm not good enough to uh, understand the difference between a Vertex and a VXR or a Hoyt, you know, an RX-1 and an RX-3. Like I don't, I'm not that great of an archer yet. So I always just said, ah, whatever, you know, a couple years old bow is all I need and I can get, I can take that to a shop, they can set me up and I'll be fine. And, uh, and this year, so I just wanted to start with a blank slate. I got, um, I did, you know, I did pretty well at work this year. I saved up a lot of pennies. So I ended up buying a VXR, you know, brand new Matthews VXR, 1100 bucks, you know, 31 and a half is the one I got. And I'm going to do a new arrow build. I have a Hamski uh, limb driver rest. So that's fine. And a black gold sight, which is, you know, three pin adjustable, which is still good. Uh, gonna put a quiver on my bow. I never really shoot with a quiver on my bow. When I was young, I had a quiver that caused issues. When I put it on, my bow would shoot differently than when my uh, when the quiver wasn't on. And so I've just always had kind of an external quiver. Uh, so I'm gonna get a quiver on it this year, and I'm gonna figure it out and get that bow kind of dialed. That's that's what I'm hoping to do this this spring and summer as well is really dive into the archery aspect of things 
and bow mechanics and just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And I'll also be switching releases as well. So I've always shot, you know, a, a, a wrist strap release. Um, and this year I'm going to throw some money down as well and get a nice uh, thumb button release. So if any of you guys have opinions on that, please let me know. From what I understand, you know, Carter's pretty much one of the best. Uh, there's one other brand, but Carter, Carter just comes to mind. A friend of mine has one. And uh, so I'm going to be trying that thumb button to see if it helps me at all. Overall, in terms of shooting, I, I would say like, you know, 10 being a professional archer, one being, you know, a person just starting out. I'm probably close into like that six, maybe seven range. Like, you know, I'm hitting a paper plate of like at 40 yards every shot, but I'm not, you know, holding, you know, quarter inch groups at 20 yards either. So, or not quarter inch, but like quarter size, I should say, or half dollar size. I, I, you know, I'm not concerned with my archery skills with the current setup I have. I just, I don't understand a lot of it. So I just want to go back to getting better form. Uh, and I think a thumb button will help me with that. And then also really dialing into, you know, uh, the spine of my arrow, the weight of my head, um, you know, putting a lighted knock on four fletch versus three fletch veins and fixed, you know, four blades versus three blades versus mechanicals, you know, and really just diving into that whole, whole wormhole this year and just spending some time in it and seeing what it produces. Hopefully it's like, I'm going to come out with a better understanding of bone mechanics in general and, uh, and just, you know, a more well-rounded person of my myself because when once you start getting into this like people ask me questions about archery like bow stuff and I'm not that great with it like I'm like I don't you know here's what I would do but I would also go talk to an archery shop you know what I'm best at is finding deer uh that's you know <laughs> I, I say that <laughs> and this year it's it's been tough to find those deer, but I'm, you know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm pretty good at is strategizing and finding deer. And I was, I saw a lot of deer, just not always in range this year and whatnot. But, uh, but anyway, that's, that's what I'm best at. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time messing around with the saddle this year, um, trying different things here and there, different styles of setting up, different, you know, angles on a tree, different types of climbing methods. So I did a lot of the saddle hunting stuff this year as well. And, uh, and I just really want to, you know, overall get a better, more in-depth knowledge of, of bow mechanics and then also understand habitat. Um, how, what I want, I want to say habitat manipulation, and I don't know if that's hundred percent right, but, um, uh, I, f I feel like that's really what it is, is habitat manipulation to, to figure out what's best for, for deer and other wildlife as well. I've uh, been watching the back 40, which is a meat eater special on YouTube. Uh, I enjoy that because they give good information, um, or at least they touch on information that then I can then research, you know, because they're looking at the back 40, which is a, you know, like a 60 acre piece that they bought, the meat eater bought, Mark Kenyon's running it. And it generally, they want to manage it for all wildlife, not just deer. And I, and I also, I would like to do the same thing. You know, I hunt squirrels, I hunt rabbits, uh, deer, turkeys. You know, and I also just want general overall, you know, a very healthy uh, piece of land that my family owns. Like I just, I want it to be as healthy as it can be. 
Uh, we're generally, my dad's already kind of uh, debating, not debating, he's got a plan in place to go with um, all organic farming um, and CRP over the next 10 years. Uh, we are currently kind of figuring that out and how we would do it within our within our property boundaries with the farmer and all that stuff. So, um, you know, overall just having a very healthy piece of land is something that I want to learn about a lot about as well. And then I'm trying to do all that, which is what I'm thinking about all the time now, but I still have, you know, 14 days, two weeks to try to kill a deer. <laughs> I'm trying to make that happen as well. So, uh, upcoming, so some people I got coming on the episodes here in the near future, uh, we're going to do some, some fun stuff with BHA. So backcountry hunters and anglers, uh, I was going to get them on here. We're going to talk about some stuff going on there. Uh, they're a public land kind of activist group. I feel like activist is such a, uh, kind of like somebody who's screaming and yelling at things. And that's not really what backcountry hunters and anglers are, but they're, they're a voice for public lands. Essentially. If you don't know who they are, look them up They're They're, I think they have chapters in, 48 of the 50 states so they should have a chapter in your state i would think um and it's just a bunch of people that are that are you know a voice for public land so i got them coming on um i have a friend from vortex coming on i have another friend from um oh he's just he's a public land hunter around me and he shot a few a few good deer um, I got Whitetail DNA coming on. Who's at, his name's Alex. He's out of Minnesota, and he's been doing some really fun stuff this year with Breaking Point TV, going to the ATA, talking to people about the ATA. I got a few people coming on that that I just want to hear about their experience there and what new products they found and things like that. Uh, so anyway, um, upcoming should be fun. Should be a good time. I'm excited about uh, the podcast we have coming up, and hopefully I can knock down a deer in the next you know, the next two weeks. Uh, we'll see. But anyway, that's what I've been up to. I hope, you know, it gives you guys a little idea as to why I haven't been on here for the last few weeks. It's just been tough to get going. And then here I am, solo podcast, knocking it out. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I got nothing else to say. Hit me up on Instagram if you got any questions or tips. If you have somebody you know that does habitat stuff, love to hear from them. And also if you have somebody uh, that you'd recommend for bow mechanics and stuff like that. You know, I watch a lot of John Dudley on YouTube, so he gives a lot of good information. Um, but just kind of anyone in general, hit me up on Instagram or, or Facebook or anything like that and uh, let me know. All right, catch you guys later.